This episode of TGC's Word of the Week is sponsored by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Visit our historic campus and see how we prepare ministers of the gospel for faithful service. Learn more at sbts.edu visit. If the Lord is entirely sovereign, which he is, and if he is always good to you in Christ, which he is, well, then when we grumble and complain in any circumstance, we're actually denying God's involved, denying that he's being good. And who do we think we're grumbling and complaining against? This is TGC's Word of the Week, a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition. This week's sermon, What Your Grumbling Says About God, was preached by TGC Council member Brian Davis at Risen Christ Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on November the 26th, 2017. The text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Listen now to Brian Davis on what your grumbling says about God. Go and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and pray that you would fill us with more gratitude still. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word changes us, and we pray that you would sanctify us in the truth, that your word is truth. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, you have a plan on doing something, but then someone told you to do the thing you were planning on doing, and then that made you no longer want to do it simply because they told you to do it. Um, it's petty, but that's how I feel this week. Uh, so the topic uh, for reflection this morning is on giving thanks, but I, I don't want the moment of thanking God to be hijacked by the holiday we just had this week, because they really had nothing to do with each other, and I certainly don't feel inclined to devote an entire worship service to the theme of what we did on Thursday. So just to be clear, when we're talking about Thanksgiving this Sunday, it's just because it seemed to be an appropriate topic uh, based on how the Lord has dealt so kindly with us in this season, it has nothing to do with turkey, has nothing to do with stuffing, has nothing to do with macaroni and cheese, though we do thank God for each of them. It's appropriate that when God deals kindly with us, as he always does for us in Christ, but it seems at moments he brings our awareness to a different degree of discernment for us to be sobered into gratitude to give thanks, to sing praises to the Lord as his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, not because it's a holiday, but because it's God's will for us in Christ. And that's what we want to think about this morning. So if, if you have a Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're looking just at verse 18, and I'll read the text we'll consider. The passage reads like this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Paul, at the end of this letter to the Thessalonians, he tosses this grenade of exhortation to them, and it explodes with a spread of charges of Christian activity. For instance, if you're looking there at chapter 5, in the immediate context of this verse, Paul urges the Thessalonians to admonish the idle, to help the weak, to be patient with them all, 
Two, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Two, rejoice always. Two, pray without ceasing. Two, give thanks, which is what we'll be considering this morning. But he charges them also not to quench the spirit, to not despise prophecies, to test everything, to hold fast what is good, to abstain from every form of evil. How's that for sermon application? Uh, right, Paul is here writing to a church that he seems deeply encouraged by, and he wants to encourage them to remain steadfast in the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of God. And he's called them to their, his own kingdom and his own glory, and they're to live blameless and holy in light of that. Or as he prayed in chapter 3, verse 13, that God would establish their hearts to be blameless in holiness before him. So Paul desires for every saint what we all should desire for every saint, their sanctification, being set apart to God, consecrated for his use, living in a way that's worthy of him, being devoted to his honor, to be blameless and holy before him. With that in view, those charges we just listed they take on a different weight because these aren't just good Christian things to do, but this is the conduct of consecration. That list of things is how we are to act consecrated unto the Lord. It's the exercise of our sanctification. In fact, I would commend this portion of Scripture to you to reflect, reflect on if you ever feel stuck spiritually. You know, we get in those little ruts, and you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? I, I think this is a good place just to go to. And just read the list slowly and pray for those things to bear fruit in your life. Here we find explicitly stated what God's will is for us. You don't need to go to one of them crazy conferences with people talking all types of crazy with stuff you can't confirm. In the text, he says, test that stuff. These are all the activities that are to adorn the faithful. They're, they're the duties of those who delight in God. And numbered among this list of Christian duties that are worthy of the Lord, we find our verse for this morning uh, to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I have three points this morning. And our first is the activity of giving thanks. The activity of giving thanks, Debbie. Well, our text begins with a rather simple charge, right? Give thanks. Now, probably what is most natural to us in terms of thinking about thanks is thinking about being polite. It's in the realm of etiquette. So we have a very young daughter. She's about to be two, and we're trying to coach her to be polite. So if you do something nice to her or for her, we do what parents do, and they say, what do you say? And then she strings together... A, a coalition of sounds that resembles something like thank you, you know, thank you, or something like that. And we celebrate her and encourage her, that's right, right, teaching her to be polite. Uh, but Paul's concern here is not that Christians were polite, but that they'd be holy. So we see that giving thanks here is, is not about etiquette, but it's about worship. To give thanks has to do with a Christian's worship. And we must ask, well, then, well, what does it mean to give thanks? One word study defined the term give thanks this way, acknowledging that God's grace works well. That was my response, too. I was like, that was good. 
Or we might say to give thanks is to praise God with gratitude for his grace. It is to praise God with gratitude for his grace. Being thankful to God is how Christians are called to worship. And lacking thankfulness to God is sin. Perhaps uh, you're here today and you're not a Christian, and just how we even talk about Thanksgiving in that regard might be entirely strange. Uh, Perhaps maybe what comes into some of our minds when we think about sin is only kind of the grotesque kind of deeds, kind of the things we think is vile. And while in most cases, those vile things certainly would be considered sin, sin as a category is much more holistic. It's much more comprehensive. It isn't determined by what it Um, each person kind of finds bothersome or what each person finds repulsive because if we took a survey in this room, the answer would change from person to person. No, sin at its core is defined by what is opposed to God, what doesn't honor the Lord, what doesn't promote loving Jesus. I wonder if you've ever considered sin in the category of ingratitude towards God. That ingratitude towards God is sinful. There's a general lack of acknowledging God's goodness in all things, a denial of his kindness for what he's provided. This is generically, but there is a unique, and we would suggest evil expression of ingratitude displayed in the rejection of Christ as Savior. Uh, So if someone went through great lengths to and great expense to pay for a great need of yours and offered to you at a great price like free, and then you chose to reject it or deny it, well, we would all conclude, well, that's a great rejection. That's great ingratitude. It's not just kind of ingratitude. It's a great ingratitude giving the cost of the gift. Well, how much more uh, ungrateful is someone's soul that God would send his only son, and this is what he beefs up in John 3, that he so loves the world, that he sent his only son, that the gift was, was of such a value, such a quality, such a quantity to show his love. He, he wanted you to know his love, so he, he gave it to you in his son, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him gets life. It's a great offer. It's a great deal. Yeah, but for one to reject it. That's not an issue of neutrality or indifference. It's the expression of ingratitude. It's the expression of ingratitude, and to reject that death on our behalf would be an eternally consequential ingratitude. Uh, Ingratitude to God is something to be repented of, abandoned, and given up. Uh, The wages of sin, of our ungratefulness to God, is death. But the free gift, that's free to us, expensive to him, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how amazing is it that the all-worthy Jesus would die for ungrateful sinners and then convert us into thankful, adoring saints? That's what Christians are to be. They used to be ungrateful to God about everything, and then you meet Jesus and you find you have every reason to be grateful to God in everything, and we express that through adoration and praise and thanksgiving. An ungrateful heart is a sin condition. Paul certainly makes clear that a heart that lacks thankfulness to God is actually dead to God. Uh, Perhaps, you you know, an unbeliever, you've been talking to them. You you know, you don't always have to start at kind of the big blaring sins. You can put your finger on the ones that the Bible puts the finger on too. Ingratitude to God. 
Romans 1, 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. One Puritan wrote, countless marks does a man bear in his soul that he has fallen and estranged from God, but nothing gives a greater proof of it than that backwardsness, which everyone finds within himself to the duty of praise and thanksgiving. But the gospel, right? So the good news of salvation exclusively available through Jesus Christ by him dying on a cross for our sins and resurrecting from the dead and by faith raising us up with him, that gospel comes to ungrateful hearts and then it warms us into gratitude. It convinces us of his goodness. We, we taste and we see it. It's not something we, we make up, not something we have to insert with no feeling. The, the gospel penetrates a, a stone heart and melts the stone away to feel the goodness of God in Christ. And Paul, knowing that he's talking to Christians, those raised from that depth of darkness, the futility of thinking, says, brothers and sisters, give thanks. A rescued people should be a thankful people. A ransomed people should be a thankful people. A redeemed people should be a thankful people. If not giving thanks to God is to dishonor him and with futility in thinking and darkness in hearts, then friends, to give thanks to him is to honor him. It's to be thinking rightly. It's to have light in the heart. And we ought to give thanks. The activity of giving thanks. Uh, second, we'll consider the occasion for our giving thanks. Perhaps you said, B, I agree with you. When should we do it? On which occasions are fitting for this giving of the thanks? When are we to take up this activity? Well, plain Paul gives us a straight answer. Verse 18. Give thanks. That was point one. Here's point two. In all circumstances. Any questions? <laughs> the Greek word for all means all. <laughs> I've recently been thinking a lot about the word all in the Bible and how all-encompassing all is. Matthew 28, 20, some of the famous words of our Lord Jesus in commissioning the, the church says, go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every command of Christ is important. And every disciple is expected to be about observing all of Jesus' commands. That is a huge all. Jesus' expectation for his disciples isn't, and observe what I say. He says, now, I want y'all to teach each other how to observe all that I say. Or when Paul is exhorting the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28 to exercise Christ-like affection for the church, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. 
that's the main verse behind us doing pastoral visits. That we feel obligated because Jesus has called us to pay careful attention to all the flock, each one. All the flock is to be cared for, no matter the size of the flock. That is a weighty all. Well, well similarly, saints, what do we find in our text this morning? We, do we not see an equally massive all? Give thanks in all circumstances. All of them? A Christian's lips are to drip with thanksgiving no matter what cup the Lord gives them. Having a tough week. You have reason to give thanks. Having a great week. You too have reason to give thanks. When he provides what you need or when he removes what you want, in each circumstance, we are to give thanks. Uh, when he provides, we say with James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And when he removes, we say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Kids, God is always good to his people. Even if stuff really, really sad happens to them. He only makes us sad now to make us more happy later. What God wants us to know in giving us his very special son is that he sent him to die on a cross for us so that we could be with him, Spurgeon, so that everything that will happen in our life, we would know for sure that it's not working against us being with him, but working for us being with him. So whether he gives us what we want or takes from us what we want, He's being good to us to bring us to himself. Saints, the reason we should give thanks in all circumstances is simply because the, the Lord is with us in all of them. You might have reason to complain if God abandons you, but that will never happen. You might have reason to complain if God forgets you. The saints... That will never happen. You'd have reason to complain if God ever fumbled you, dropped you. You know, our hope is that he's holding us in his hand and maybe you slip out one day. We would understand your complaint. But that will never happen. I mean, consider he's, he's rescued us from his wrath. He keeps us by his mercy. He's leading us to glory through paths of righteousness for his namesake. Everything in this world can be taken from us, but Christ never can nor ever will. And if he's supposed to be the source of our gratitude, then we're never without cause for thanksgiving. There's only one thing that is necessary for a Christian to be always thankful in any and every circumstance, and that is having Christ. And if you've turned from your sin and believed on him by faith, then in fact, 
You have him indeed. Uh, For those who choose him as their good portion, uh, the Lord would tell us what he told Martha when talking about Mary, right? They've chosen the good thing and the thing that they have chosen will not be taken from them. Uh, Spurgeon says, here is a standing reason for thanksgiving. Although we may not always be healthy, nor always prosperous, yet God is always good. And therefore, there is always a sufficient argument for giving thanks. I think this is one reason why murmuring or grumbling and complaining is such a big deal. If you put that on the other end of being called to give thanks in all circumstances, because it's the opposite of that. You're saying there's a circumstance that we can grumble and complain. And it's, I, I say this to my shame. I, I am the chief of grumblers. This is, this is not talking to, this, I'm not a very grateful person. I, I, I should be a more grateful person. I get the struggle. But saints, it doesn't excuse the sin. The opposite of giving thanks is complaining. And to say there's a situation where you can legitimately complain is to assume there's a situation you shouldn't legitimately give thanks. If the Lord is entirely sovereign, which he is, and if he is always good to you in Christ, which he is, well, then when we grumble and complain in any circumstance, we're actually denying God's involved. Denying that he's being good. And who do we think we're grumbling and complaining against? I think you should ask those closest to you about this practice in your life. Do you give thanks in all circumstances? I think it's a good one to talk about with someone, right? They say, hey, am I I a grateful person? Specifically when I'm displeased or I'm upset or it doesn't go the way I wanted? What ways have you seen this sin show up in my life? And then let them talk. A couple indicators to watch for that you are not being thankful and that we're not conducting our, our Christian duty appropriately, that we're not ascribing to the Lord glory do him, that we're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord in this area. I think there's two things we can watch for. One is obviously complaining, and I think the other one is silence. Uh, the first one, complaining is quite obviously the opposite of thanksgiving. So in complaining, you're literally expressing your dissatisfaction in the moment. And ultimately, with God, because he has you there in that moment, he's sovereign over that moment, and he seemed good for you to be in it. And this is why you appreciate James saying the opposite of what you do in trials, because we would say, well, what about trials? He said, no, you count those pure joy. You, you, you calculate those differently, friend. You have a whole nother calculator for that. You got to see with his eyes. He's, he's producing something in you, even as he's afflicting something on you. Complaining is not praising God with gratitude for his grace in the moment that we find ourselves in. And it's something to look out for, something to repent of. But also we should look out for silence. Silence. You may not be tempted to complain, but that doesn't make you thankful by default. 
Just because you're not doing one thing does not mean you're actively doing the right thing. Thankfulness, giving thanks, it's something you give, which means it's an activity. It must be expressed, and it's supposed to be able to be discerned by others. So if I was up here and my eyebrows were furled and my nostrils were flared and I had the, the mean mug painted on the face and y'all say, yo, Brian, you would be right to ask, why? what's wrong? Why are you obsessed? Nothing's wrong. I'm happy. <laughs> Bubbling over with joy. You would appropriately say, that, that doesn't look right. That's not what happiness looks like. That's the opposite of what happiness looks like. Your profession does not coincide with your expression. Giving thanks is an activity that's supposed to be discernible. Consider the 10 lepers who were called uh, who called out to Jesus for mercy. You're familiar with the story. Jesus, have mercy on us. And, and he had mercy on them. Ten lepers. He said, go and show yourself to the priest. And it got up and they were cleansed. And how many came back? Yeah, well, Luke 17, 15 says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, Think that's interesting. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And it's not like we assume the other nine just had secret thanks in their heart that they went away with. No, we read that like those ingrate, those ungrateful lepers. Jesus affirms that's the right way to see it. He looks and says, Man, there's only one that came back. There's only one who praised God. Now, how we express thanksgiving might look different, but praise and thanksgiving should look like something distinct. We shouldn't be confused whether you're praising or pouting. It's worship. It's worship he's called us to in every circumstance. And Christians are to be marked by a happy contentedness in their sovereign Savior. Theology matters so that when you're in a situation you hate, you have a lot of doctrine that you love that fuels and transforms how you see it. Saying if you've been bought by Christ and you're hidden in him, there's literally no better situation for you possible. And one of the ways a Christian is called to reflect that is to give thanks in every circumstance they're in. What a beautiful picture it is of someone satisfied by the steadfast love of the Lord that they can endure suffering. It's interesting, even in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says, this is, I know you got saved because the gospel came to you in affliction and you received it with joy. All circumstances, saints, means all circumstances. May we be a happy people because we have the most biggest reasons to be happy always. And this is what Paul meant, right? I, I learned the secret of contentment. I can face different kinds of stuff, abundance and, and need. I know how to have the pockets fat and how to have them joint skinny, how to have it my way or not have my way at all. 
I, I can do these things through Christ. He gives me strength. He gives me strength. Activity, give thanks. Occasion, always, always give thanks. And thirdly, the reason. We have a reason for our gratitude. And Paul wants to know that there's a good reason for us to give thanks as well. Again, just keep reading the text. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will for you, not God's suggestion for you. God's will, it, it brings a different weight, the, the unswerving will of God that a Christian has come to delight in. Uh, the mark of the unbelievers, they don't care about God's will. Or they disagree with it. They oppose it. They throw it off. The Christian gets up under it, is happy there, and pursues it. There's only a few times in the New Testament where we get such an explicit charge. This is God's will for you. It's just very interesting things that that circles. Um, earlier in the book of Thessalonians in chapter 4, we probably are familiar with this is God's will for you, your sanctification. We say, I get that. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. We say, I get that. I see how that corresponds with being blameless and holy and a conduct that's worthy of the Lord. But here, next chapter, he says the same thing. This is God's will for you. And we expect something that might feel a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more war-ish, you know, killing sin, cutting off limbs. Yeah. But he says, no, be thankful always in every situation that you're in. That's God's will for you in Christ. This is a special moment for us as a church. Uh, God has brought us up into a land that we've prayed for, and he's provided a place for us to proclaim his excellencies from. He's even brought us into the very neighborhood that we had hoped to serve in specifically that we prayed for by name. And we should, and it's right that we thank him for his kindness. You know, God gives you the cone, the ice cream, and the sprinkles on top too. And we want to give him thanks for all the parts. Uh, you know, Brother Shia was saying about this when I was writing. I was like, man, this is four years ago we prayed for this very moment to be in this very place. Me and Shy in a basement talking and praying. And look what he has done. And we should give God thanks for that. He's answered our prayers amazingly. It's crazy. As the church planning to, I recall the, the lady Bible studies, we called it. Those laughed were the ones who were there. It was Jez and Sasha and Melanie. And there were some other people else was there. Ty came sometimes. Shannon was in the building. Sonia, you were always there. Um, and we just prayed. We ask God to do what God has done uh, by God's grace. After we planted a church, a good number of living hope folks were folded in. We all prayed together. We made supplication to God together, specifically. And saints, he's provided. And we should give him thanks. Let us thank the Lord for his generosity. He's been generous to us. He was merciful in our doubting. There were some arguments had over the elder table. But he's kind and he's been patient with us in our impatience. And he's done far better for us than we deserve. And through this process, he gave us unity as a church. We had one mind and one judgment. And maybe with one heart be filled with gratitude. 
But you don't have to come along on our journey to join in our Thanksgiving this morning. Uh, because we ourselves, though gathered to celebrate here today, do not do so to rejoice most chiefly or most supremely in the building. Make no mistake, we are grateful for the building. We think it's a dope building, but it's still just a building. But we do hope a consecrated building for worship. But to think that that is mainly what has us hyped this morning or any morning would be to misread the entire situation. It's, it's not what we're being called to. It's, it's not a kind of sense of give thanks as you discern it. That's what we normally naturally do. We, God does something for us, and then that's when we're thankful. And that's more like a child. Right? <laughs> you give, I'm in my parents when they give me pizza. I used to say, I love you so much. <laughs> and then they do something that you don't like, and you just go away saying all kinds of blasphemies under your breath. How often do we do God the same way? This isn't the kind of giving thanks and gratefulness the Christian is called to. As you discern it, then share it. Although, as you discern it, then share it. While we're thankful for this building, we are not most thankful for this building. We are most thankful for Christ, that he has loved us when we were unlovely, that he's died on a cross for our sin, and that he has reconciled us to God. I mean, Carl, what we got this week, that that doesn't overcome. What kind of darkness do we enter that that sun doesn't shine brightly in? It's at the cross, at the cross where we first saw the light and the burden of our heart <laughs> rolled away. Uh, remember, Paul here is aimed at their sanctification for them to be blameless and holy, to live worthy of the Lord. And what's more worthy of the Lord than for us to always acknowledge that in everything, his grace works well. He exhorts them to an always active gratitude, a heart that is thankful in every circumstance. Unless someone be tempted to think that this exhortation was just for the bubbly Christians, like Clara, or just for the jovial saints. You know, you'd start excusing why somebody's thankful, like it's their personality. It's like, well, no, it might just be your sin. He lets them know this is God's will for Christians. There is not to be an ungrateful saint among us, and, and there's none here who have a good cause to be either. God intends for you, if you know Jesus, to have an ever-thankful soul. Do you know that? The angels are never watching you complain and like that's good but they do rejoice when they see grace active grace that trusts god that believes god that hopes against hope that stands on his word that gives him thanks even in a circumstance they find unprofitable unhelpful uncomfortable let us not forget who's talking this isn't Paul never had nothing bad happen to him. Paul got stoned with rocks. Not on Twitter. This wasn't a tweet storm that came at him. We're talking about angry emails. We're talking about angry rocks. He got whipped. He was starved. 
brother got shipwrecked, got abandoned by his team, pushed out of cities. You ain't never been pushed out of no city. Hunted for, preserved. This is the mouth of the one who calls us, give thanks in everything, in every circumstance. Brother Paul, how many circumstances? He says, all the circumstances. This is God's will for us, ever aware of his great mercy and love toward us in every circumstance. I mean, just consider the worst you'll ever have here is by far the worst you'll ever have ever. You might cry a couple days. You'll never abide where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have a Savior who vouches to wipe every tear from your eyes. Something bad happened to you. You have a Savior who's promised to make everything new. You know, you got a category for that. A Christian should have a category because you used to be dead and now you're alive. But he says, I'll make you all new. There's, there's no assault. There's no harm. There's no affliction that can befall a believer that God in his mercy will not undo. So what reason do we have to complain? You know you're loved with inseparable love. You know you're kept with a very firm grip. You know you're promised the things of the future that are beyond a conception to the mind, sweeter to the taste than, I was going to say honey, but whatever you find sweet. Most delightful that the only way to express it is to say this pleasures forevermore, the this is where we're going. This is where we are. And a Christian shows that by giving thanks, no matter where they are. I'm being taken somewhere. I'm being led by someone. And he's sovereign and he's good to me. It's his command. And this is why we find a bunch of commands about thankfulness. I'll just read a couple let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Man, it's just interesting, some words we skip over. He doesn't say just don't be anxious and then pray. He said don't be anxious and pray and be thankful. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 2, 6 through 7, is Paul is exhorting that young church to keep being faithful. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. We would say all those things. And he ends it with an abounding in thanksgiving. An abundant thanksgiving is a work that is perfect and perpetual even in glory. Revelation 4, 9, what do the living creatures give? They give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, the angels around the throne and the multitude. What do they give? Well, they're like, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to our God forever. I can be quite ungrateful, but it's always an expression of my own entitlement that I think I deserve better. But in calling us to always give thanks, he's calling us to never forget that you are always doing better than you deserve. We've always received more than we've earned. 
When we were snatched out of the world of darkness, we were delivered from a thankless existence. And now, having been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, whose glory is our light, we now see abundant proof for us to always be thankful in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ that we have all the reasons needed for all the circumstances we will find ourselves in for eternal gratitude towards God. And I'll give you just a couple as we close. No matter what's happening to you, these are always true in Jesus. We are adopted by God as our Father. And our Father is good and perfect and right. We have the Spirit of God for our comfort. And He leads us to walk in God's ways. We have the Son of God as our head. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and our high priest who intercedes for us. He Himself is bringing all of us to glory. We have the promises of God for our inheritance. You can lose a couple dollars here, lose a couple dollars there, but our inheritance is being kept secure. We have the word of God for our sustenance. No bread? You don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, the food that does not perish. We have the church of God as our family. Let no saint say that they're lonely when they're a member of a church. We have the gospel of God as our treasure. It's called good news. You always got good news. Just say it after you receive bad news. Uh, I think Sha was talking about last time, but you know, we live with Jamaica. We just, you know, we're not going to hell. That's really good news. But it's not just that you're not going to hell. We're going to heaven fullness of joy. We have the glory of God as our hope, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have the presence of God as our joy. We're not coming, you know, people, they talk about when they die, what's going to happen to them. It's just some vain, you know, uh, darkness that's in this, this that, there's no joy in that. We have a person we're coming to, a glorious person. And saints, we will forever be with God as our end. So whatever your situation started, just remember where it ends. This must work towards your good to move you forward towards glory with a firmer grip and a firmer longing for Jesus. All of this only possible in Christ and all of this and more freely given to all who trust him. Saints, give thanks in all circumstances, for this indeed is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the world of good he brings to us. We thank you for a joy that's not like the, the joy in the world, a peace that's not like the peace the world provides. But he brings us eternal joy and eternal life. Father, would you help us to walk more accurately in line with glory? 
to long and await more eagerly his return. And Father, whatever we say, may it be true and, and may it be filled with thanksgiving. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to TGC's Word of the Week. Check back next week for another gospel-centered sermon. We also invite you to visit the resources section of our website, thegospelcoalition.org, to find thousands of sermons to help you understand and apply God's Word.